Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Let's dive into the word today. As you know, we are in the middle of a series called I Need a Miracle. I keep thinking about that song, y'all forgive me, but I keep almost saying I believe in miracles, <laughs> like that old song, and I can't stop. Uh, but we're in the series called I Need a Miracle, and Pastor Don kicked it off so well, and he had this amazing message about Thomas. Then he talked about how Thomas, we all think of him as the doubter, but Thomas was in a place of pain and a place of wondering what was going on. And he didn't have faith for a miracle for the resurrection. But what Jesus did is Jesus said, then let me help you identify with my pain. And when you understand the pain that I bore for you, then you'll have faith to believe in the miracle that I want to do through you as well. And today I just want to encourage and remind somebody that your place of pain, your place of weakness, the place where you're struggling in your faith, Jesus is meeting you there and he's saying, I've felt that same pain too and I'm with you. The book of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses because he's walked through everything that we've walked through. And then we moved on in the second week and we talked about fighting familiarity. How sometimes we don't receive a miracle because we forget to believe for a miracle. We forget that he is the miracle working God. And so we talked about some ways to fight familiarity. Number one, that we have to remember who he is, that he is God. He is all powerful. He is a miracle working God and there is nobody like him in heaven or on earth. Then we talked about to remember what he's done for you. Don't forget your past and what he saved you from because it will remind you that a miracle is available in your future. And then we said that we have to remember where we are, that everywhere we go, we're standing on holy ground. And my hope, my prayer is that this week, when you walk through life, that you remembered, I'm in the supermarket today, but I'm standing on holy ground and a miracle can happen now because the presence of God is with me and he's living inside of me. And today I wanna talk to you for just a moment about this, fighting frustration. And if you would turn in your Bible with me to the book of John, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 7 and then 17 through 44. So hold on. It's going to be a lot of scripture, but I think it's okay to read the Bible in church. Here we go. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Anytime that you see something in the Bible, if you don't know the story, it's kind of out of context. It seems really weird, like that line right there. If you've never heard that story, it's like washing his feet with her hair. Don't get it, uh, but we'll talk about it sometime. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus has friends? Maybe you and I need friends too, just a thought. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. Will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. So that the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I want to highlight a couple things really quick before we move on. Jesus said that this sickness will not end in death. It happened for the glory of God. 
I'm going to take a moment and explain something because sometimes people will say, well, God made me sick to teach me something or God made me sick so that he could show his power. But when we understand the scripture as a whole, we can see that it's not God putting a sickness on Lazarus. And I just want to explain that for a brief moment to you. Um, and, and here's part of the reason I know that. In the book of Genesis, it's really fascinating. You see uh, Joseph and his brothers have done him so much wrong and they sold him into slavery. Like those are the worst brothers of all time. You know, there's no contest there. I don't care if your brother picked on you. They didn't sell you into slavery because they didn't like the dream that you had. And when they reconcile at the end of it all, Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So it wasn't God that caused it. It wasn't even God that intended it, but God can turn it around. That's why Romans 8, 28 says that we know in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That God is not making bad things happen to you, but God is the, the king of the redirect. If you ever see a great fighter and they can use someone else's energy and motion to take them down, that's exactly what God does in your life. If you'll let him, what the enemy means for evil, God will turn it around for good. That's who he is. Other thing that's crazy to me is it says, although Jesus loved Mary and Martha, he waited for two days when they thought their brother was going to die. Let's skip to verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people who had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. You see that mixture of faith and a little bit of worry and sadness at the same time. It's like the man that came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You can hold those things in tension because you're a human. You've got a spirit that believes, but a mind that's struggling to keep up and you gotta lock into your spirit. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yes, he will rise again when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Can I say in your place of grief, you had better have someone around you, a brother or sister in Christ, who will point you and direct you to Jesus. And that's what Martha did for her sister. Jesus had stayed outside the village, verse 30, at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Honesty, I love that. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? There's always somebody like that. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. 
But Martha, she was practical, always practical. The dead man's sister protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I love how it says it in the King James. It says, but Lord, he stinketh. That is awesome to me. Some of y'all are like, I got a middle school boy in my house that stinketh too. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Now you need to know this really quick. These tombs, from what I understand, were cut into the side of a, of a hill, as a cave, and they would have multiple burial benches. So the way I picture it is like, Jesus is like, I gotta say Lazarus come out because if I just say come out, they're all gonna come out. It's gonna be really crazy, like a zombie apocalypse type of situation. I don't wanna scare everybody. I just wanna make them believe in Jesus. And it says the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Can we pray real quick? Father, I thank you that today we lean into the word of God, that we don't hear from a person on a stage with a microphone, but that we hear from the word and the spirit. God, that you get me out of the way and make me a vessel to speak what you have to say directly to people in your own way. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Hey, can I tell you about something that frustrates me? I am not the fastest person, but I do not like to wait when it feels like we should be moving. Is anybody else like that? I'll give you a prime example for me, and this is a very petty example of somebody who needs to get over it. But when I go to the gas station and I do everything and press all those buttons, do you want a car wash, what kind, all this stuff, and I press the gas I want, I fill the car up, and then I'm done, I put it back, and it waits like three whole seconds and asks me, do you want a receipt? All I wanted was for you to ask me before I pump my gas so that I could put that thing back in and go where I'm going. That is how impatient I can be. And I'm not always like that. I'm a pretty patient guy with lines, but if I feel like we should be moving, then I have a real problem. He's like the biggest offender for me. And y'all are going to be so offended with me after this. I hope you stay for the message. Look, someone's already leaving. No, I'm just joking. I'm totally joking. I'm totally joking. I cannot stand the way that it works when you mobile order at Chick-fil-A. And everybody in this room is like, you can't insult the Lord's chicken. And I'm just going to tell you this. My jokes have plummeted. They've gotten so much worse since I've become a dad. So this is what I want to tell you today. I do have beef with the Lord's chicken, and I got to talk about it today. Because when you mobile order at Chick-fil-A, you're going to know what I'm talking about. You spend all the time putting in your own order, and then it says, now when you get to the restaurant, press the button so we can start making your food. The purpose of a mobile order is that you start making my food so that when I get there within 30 seconds, there's a french fry in my mouth. That's how it works in Cody's world. And I don't want to get there and then press the button and wait for you to make it. Here's two people that do it right on totally opposite ends of the spectrum. If you go to Starbucks, Starbucks is not my favorite coffee, but if I press the button today, I went there on the way and it said that my order would be ready in three to five minutes. It tells me the window when I should be there. And I walk in and there it is. And if I'm late and the coffee's cold, guess whose fault it is? Mine, sorry about it. I'll take that responsibility for the convenience that it provides. Here's the opposite end of the spectrum. You go to In-N-Out. There is no mobile order. There is no app. There's a girl in an outfit from 1955 
and she just says, thank you so much. You're order number 4,759 and you wait for eons, but you don't know how long it's really been because there is no thing to tell you how long you're waiting. I'm cool with that. Just pick one or the other. Give me a time or don't tell me, but I don't want to be like Chick-fil-A where we have to press the button when we get there to tell you to make it. I know that seems silly, but we do not like to wait in our culture. That's why we have microwaves. And in fact, there was a Bloomberg News article that said that Americans, this is going to shock you, Americans spend an average of 37 billion hours a year waiting in lines. 37 billion hours a year. There was another article that Yahoo News posted that said that um, the average person, actually no, 70% of people will leave a line, a physical line, after waiting for 15 minutes. So 15 minutes for a product or a service, if it's 15 minutes, 70% of people will leave. That means if something awesome is gonna be sold, wait it out, you're one of only 30%, you might get something great. But we have a problem with waiting in our culture. And I think it's really fascinating that this scripture says, although Jesus loved them, he waited two extra days. You know what's crazy about me, about this portion, I was studying this and I was listening, uh, reading through like the details of, okay, they come and they tell Jesus and I'm kind of trying to figure out like how long of a journey was it? And here's what you realize when you study that stuff out. Lazarus was probably about to die anyways when they came and told Jesus because it was about a day's walk to get to where Jesus needed to get to heal Lazarus. The Bible says that he waited two days and then when he goes there, it says that he has been dead, Lazarus, for four days. So that means Lazarus was either dying the same day or had already died by the time the messengers get to Jesus. And so Jesus starts on this thing about, hey, Lazarus is just sleeping and all this stuff. It makes me think of Princess Bride when he's like, you're really lucky because your friend is only mostly dead. And I think the disciples are like, what are you talking about? And Jesus is waiting, not because he's not going to heal him. I think Jesus is waiting because he knows it's already happened or it's about to happen right now. I'm not going to get there in time anyways. And he waits in God's timing. And he waits until Lazarus is not mostly dead. Lazarus is all the way dead. And he comes on the scene. But imagine yourself, you're Jesus, you know what's going to happen. You know that you'll come and you'll resurrect him and it'll be for God's glory and many people will believe. But imagine that you're Martha or Mary or imagine that you're Lazarus. We always think about how bad it hurt them. It really hurt him. He was laying in the bed like, I hope he comes. I think that's kind of this picture of waiting in our world. There's three reasons why we really do get frustrated with miracles. Number one is this, it doesn't happen when we thought it would happen. It doesn't happen when we thought it would happen. I used to put timelines on everything. I would pray and be like, God, I think if you just want to do this by this month, and he never seemed to do it when I wanted him to do it. The second thing is if it doesn't happen how we thought it should happen. Well, that wasn't what I hoped for or expected. It wasn't like I thought it would happen. It happened, but it was different. That's happened to me before where I believed God for something and it came, but the package looked different. The third thing is this, when it doesn't seem like a miracle happens at all. You know what's crazy in this story is you can find all three of these things because it doesn't happen when they think it should happen. They're thinking Jesus should have just come immediately. My goodness, it's Jesus. He could have just teleported himself there and healed him on the spot. Why didn't he do it when we thought he would? 
And then the second thing is it doesn't happen like they thought it should, the way they thought it should. They were expecting a healing. Jesus is expecting a resurrection. The third thing is it doesn't seem like a miracle happens at all. Imagine the four days and they're sitting there going, he didn't make it. No miracle happened and we asked for the miracle maker to come. I think you and I in our lives, we fight this kind of frustration. And sometimes it's not the barrier to our miracle, if I could say it this way, but it's, um, it's a barrier or an obstacle on the way. It's a thing that can distract and deter us from believing for it anymore. We can kind of give up hope and lose hope and kind of forget to believe what God has placed on our hearts to believe for. Maybe it's the wayward child that you've been believing that they would come back to Jesus, but it's not happening when you thought it would or how you thought it would, or it seems like it's not happening at all. And so you kind of tend to shrink back a little bit and go, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll just quit praying. Whatever that thing may be, maybe it's that you've been believing that God would give you a child and it's not happening in the timing you thought it would, or it's not happening the way you thought it would. Maybe you always thought that you would have a kid by natural means, but maybe it's an adoption. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know. Don't get frustrated in the waiting. Don't get frustrated in the waiting. And so today in our remaining time, I'm going to go quickly through five ways that we can fight frustration in our waiting times. If you're taking notes and I would really encourage you to do so, the first point is this, he is with you in the waiting. You've got to remind yourself that God is with you in the waiting. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, what's crazy is he said he was with you always, but then he leaves and he goes to heaven. But you have to understand it in the context of what he said in John 14, 16. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. See, Jesus left in the physical so that the Holy Spirit could come and live inside of us so that everywhere we step is holy ground. The word advocate, Holy Spirit, what they call the Holy Spirit there can mean someone who comes alongside you. So in the moment that you're waiting, he is alongside you, with you guiding you. The scripture says in the Old Testament that you will hear a voice when you need to make a decision behind you saying, this is the way that you should go. Walk in it. He is with you always, even in the waiting. Let me take it a step further and say this. Not only is he with you and not only does he walk with you, but he weeps with you. You know, I've read people try to say that Jesus was mad. It says that deep anger welled up in Jesus and they try to say that Jesus is mad because of the lack of faith in the people. But can I be honest? I don't see that whenever I read this passage. Because if that's the case, if he was mad because of their lack of faith and the fact that they were weeping over this, then why does it say that deep anger welled up within him and then he wept? says it right there, shortest verse in the Bible. Pastor Eric quoted it last week. John eleven thirty five. 35, then Jesus wept. There's a famous artist. He says, Jesus' tears served no utilitarian purpose. Jesus understood that he was going to heal Lazarus, but he stayed there and wept for a moment with Mary. That you serve a savior who, even though he knows from beginning to end, he'll weep with you in the middle of it because he knows your pain. And he'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. The second thing you gotta remember is this, he is working in the waiting. He's working in the waiting. 
the book of Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. It says, then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling. Daniel's having an angelic vision to my hands and my knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, listen to this. And I want you to hear, actually, I just want you to, for a moment, make a blank space where it says, Daniel, whatever you've been believing for, I want you to put your name in this blank. This is the sentence I want you to hear. Whatever your name is, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Can I just remind you for a moment, if Jesus is walking with you and if he weeps with you, that must mean that you are very, very precious to God. And it may seem like you're waiting and it may seem like you feel discouraged because he's not doing anything, but you are very precious. That's why the scripture says, although Jesus loved Martha and Mary, he waited two days. Check this out really quick. I'm going to go through this quickly. It says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. This is one of the weirdest passages of scripture, I think, in the Bible. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. But listen, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Here's the scene. Daniel is praying and believing God for 21 days for some wisdom. And at the 21st day, the angel comes to him and says, Daniel, you're precious to God. God heard your prayer the day you began to pray but I want to tell you that your answer has been on its way the whole time. And I don't understand all the details of like this big boxing match with two angels. I don't understand what's going on in all of that. But here's what I want to tell you today. Your answer can be on its way even when it feels like nothing is happening. Because here Mary and Martha are in the middle of four days of mourning and Jesus, after two days, begins to walk in their direction. He's coming even when it feels like you're in the middle of the waiting season. Third thing I want to encourage you with is this. Don't look for another way in the waiting. This is a really simple one, but whenever you wait, you begin to be uh, impatient. And we see the prime example of this in the book of Genesis chapter 16. The Bible says that um, Abraham is promised a, a son by God in his old age, and he's waiting and nothing seems to happen. So his wife is like, you know what? Why don't we just go ahead and let you have a kid with one of my servants? And we'll call that your kid. And it ended up dividing his family. It ended up literally creating generational problems because he rushed it in the process. Another really quick and easy example is in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is going to be taken uh, by the temple guard. And Peter's like, got it. And he pulls out a sword and chops off one of the servant's ear. That's your own way in the middle of the waiting. And Jesus is like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do it the way God has told us to do it. Can I just say, don't try to do it your own way because your own way will only cause pain for you if you're Abraham and pain for others if you're Peter. And it'll cause problems that you did not foresee down the line. You can watch it in Abraham's story. Issues continue to happen down the line because he tried to do it his own way because he was impatient in the waiting. The fourth thing is this, we got to worship in the waiting. And I know that can sound cheesy and that can sound trite and you don't want to hear it if you're waiting. And I get that because I've lived that. But there are only two things that you can control in the waiting season. Number one is your attitude and number two is your worship. And if I could say this, your worship will dictate your attitude. And that's why we see 
I think it's so beautiful when Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have healed him. You can do anything. And then in the midst of her discomfort and pain and sadness, she begins to speak and declare who Jesus is. She begins to say, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. She begins to declare with her mouth who her God is in the midst of waiting and disappointment. Daniel, for 21 days, we just read, he kept praying. He didn't pray once and quit. He kept going before the throne of God. I think about Paul and Silas in prison, waiting to see what would happen to them. Waiting to see after they've already been beaten and humiliated, waiting to see what God would do. And they wait and they worship. And at midnight, chains fall off and doors open. And not only are they free, but other people are saved and delivered as well. We've got to worship in the waiting. And the fifth thing is this, and this is probably the toughest one to swallow and definitely the hardest one to explain because I don't always have an explanation for this. The fifth one is this, he's still worthy even if it doesn't work out like you thought it would. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're walking through in life, but here's what I do know. God is still worthy even when things didn't pan out like you thought they should. And I would be a fool to stand up here and try to give you an answer why the thing that you prayed for didn't happen the way that you thought. Because every situation is different. And sometimes Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, the secret things belong to God. That scripture says, if you literally read it, it says we're responsible for what he's given us and told us, but the secret things belong to him. And there are some things that I just don't understand. But I want you to hear what the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they were gonna be punished for serving God, for doing the right thing, when they were facing persecution. In Daniel 3, verses 17 through 18, it says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, they're talking to the king, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I've pictured that being like a slight bit of sarcasm, but it probably wasn't. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, ready? Your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Here's what they said. Even if God doesn't save us, we will worship him alone. That's the choice that Martha made when she came to Jesus. She said, if you had been here, you could have saved him. And even now, I know you can do anything you want. But at the end of the day, what she chose to declare was, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. It's important for us to remember today that even if things don't pan out the way we think they should, he is God and we are not. And I don't have the answers. I don't believe God puts bad things on you or sickness on you, but I don't know why sometimes things can just happen the way that they do in a broken, fallen world. But here's what I know. He is God and I am not. And he is still worthy of my worship. And I don't know where you've been. I don't know what life has been like for you. I don't know if it's been frustrating. Can I tell you, I've had some frustrated moments with the Lord and God is not scared of your frustration. I think we should respect and honor God, but I do know that things can get difficult sometimes and God is not scared of your frustration. He is with you and he cares about you. And if you're in the middle of a waiting season, waiting for a miracle, I want you to do everything in your power to fight frustration to fight this feeling that is not gonna happen, so I'll just quit. Because if the devil could do anything, he would get you to give up before it's time. 
If the devil could do anything, that's what he did to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is sitting there. He knows that his hour has come. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. At the last hour, what's happening? Jesus has a desire to give up on the miracle of what God's going to do through him. I don't know what God wants to do through you, but I do know this. It's worth the wait. You got to remember that he's with you in the waiting, that he's working in the waiting. He's walking towards you in the waiting. I want to encourage you, don't look for another way in the waiting because your, way are not, your ways are not his ways. His ways are higher and better and his timing is perfect. I want to encourage you to worship in the waiting. And then I want to remind you of this. He's still worthy, even if it doesn't work out like you thought it would. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.